Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 100th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is how technology has and will impact the practice of law. This is a very special podcast for the two of us. As Sharon noted, this is the 100th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology podcast. We started the Digital Edge podcast back in early 2007 as a podcast on behalf of the ABA Law Practice Management section. Sharon and I certainly acknowledge that we would not have been able to accomplish this without the technical support of John Simic, her husband and partner, who basically served as engineer, editor, and everything else in those early days. But we also want to thank the Legal Talk Network for bringing us into their lineup of legal podcasts and doing a lot of the work that John used to have to do. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms, just like yours, attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to CloudMask, which offers cost-effective and efficient data encryption for law firms, whether large or small, in Google Apps, Office 365, and other cloud solutions. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at www.cloudmask.com. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. We wanted to have a very special guest for our 100th edition, and so we are very pleased that our friend Linda Klein has agreed to be our guest today. Linda is the president-elect of the American Bar Association. She is also a senior managing shareholder at Baker Donaldson, recently completing a six-year term on the firm's board of directors. Her practice includes most types of business dispute resolution, including contract law, employment law, and professional liability. Thanks for joining us today, Linda. Thanks for having me, Jim and Sharon. It's really a pleasure to be with you today, and I'm especially honored to be your guest on your 100th episode. The very first podcast I ever listened to was The Digital Edge. So I guess I was your first groupie. Uh, I've enjoyed your podcast. (laughs) It's true. Uh, I was your first groupie. So I've enjoyed Um, your podcast, and I have learned a lot from you both. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. We greatly appreciate that comment. Very kind of you. Thank you, Linda. Linda, before we discuss other issues, why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about your day job? What is really the main focus of your day-to-day practice? My law practice focuses on helping businesses mostly in the construction, higher education, and pharmaceutical industries. I try to help clients avoid disputes and solve them when they cannot be avoided. I also serve as a neutral, which is an arbitrator or a mediator for other lawyers and their clients. 
Outside of client work, I've been a managing partner of a medium-sized law firm and then the Georgia managing partner in a large law firm, my current firm, Baker Donaldson. And my law firm management roles is how I came to know both of you through the Law Practice Division of the American Bar Association. Well, that was a very happy meeting for all three of us. Now, Linda, I know we could fill the entire podcast discussing your many honors and achievements. We're going to include a link in the podcast to your biography. But clearly, you believe that lawyers should be active in giving back, not not only to our profession, but to our society. Do you have any comments that you'd like to offer our listeners about lawyers and volunteerism? Some of the most fulfilling things I've done as a lawyer have been pro bono and community service. My first pro bono case involved helping a woman with Alzheimer's. And while she never knew what I did to help her, what I did made the final years of her life comfortable. And after that, I was hooked. Lawyers as citizens are natural leaders in their communities, and lawyers run the museum board, the Lions Club, you know, so many groups that are needed to keep their towns running. In my community activities, I've typically worked with others to help groups of people. And I met people that I otherwise would not have met, and I made a lot of friends, and together I hope we did a lot of good. Well, that sounds wonderful. In terms of volunteer jobs, being ABA president-elect and then ABA president is a huge volunteer job. Do you have any tips for our listeners on how you fit everything into your busy life? Well, it's not bad if you spread it out over seven days. Uh, (laughs) But but seriously, my days and weeks are very full as ABA president-elect, and I rarely get a full day off. Reflecting on your question, I suppose the most important time-saving thing that I do is to touch things only once. If you open an email, handle it. You may delegate it, but you have to do something to get it off your plate. Before email, that's how I treated traditional paper mail. And while there's less paper mail now, that's how I still handle it. To get projects done, I set aside large blocks of time, usually on the weekend, to work on them. Uh, With a heavy travel schedule, I try to use public transportation or have someone else drive so I can work while traveling. I get a lot done on airplanes, and airplane internet service is a good value. If you can do client work, it it definitely pays for itself. (laughs) Linda, I think you're my sister by another mother. (laughs) That, That sounds exactly like my life and the same attitude. Get rid of it and get rid of it when it first comes in, if, if you can. Yeah, you know, I remember my first piece of technology being the IBM Selectric, which was something of a miracle as a lawyer because you could correct mistakes. What was your first use of technology in your law practice? I guess about 30 years ago, we were using a Wang dedicated word processor. And we thought that was the most incredible thing ever. It remembered our documents, and and we could make changes without retyping them from the beginning. And it was only (laughs) $75,000. And, of course, it didn't. (laughs) And remember, it didn't even spell check. It was very controversial when I asked to have a Wang terminal in my office. I was the only woman in my law firm, and even the men said that I was making a terrible mistake because they thought that I would lose credibility as a lawyer by typing instead of dictating. It turned out I was the fastest (laughs) typist in the office, and my efficiency as a lawyer was augmented instantly. That's hysterical because I I told you, my sister by another mother, I type over 90 words a minute, so I bet you're about that fast too, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, maybe even a little faster on a good day. <laughs> there you wow. go. Well, well, I'm impressed. Uh, I'm very you impressed. You'll have to have a type off, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I remember when we were at Tech Show chatting, and, and you told me that uh, I think you said you had an early focus all the way back in the 90s on how technology was impacting the practice of law and how it would impact the practice of law. And I think, you, were you then the president of the state bar? Well, I did write about that in a president's page when I was president of the State Bar of Georgia in 1997, but the focus really started before that. And in that president's page, I told my readers that it was going to be the first president's page in the history of bar associations that was going to make the money or maybe at least save the money. And in it, I told the story of how I became a convert. And that was in 1988 when my husband, Michael, spent just entirely too much money on this what I called a useless metal box, and it had a keyboard, and it had this screen, and you remember the screen was like kind of orangey, and the screen was so useless because it, it didn't get any television reception, and, and you know how as a spouse you're disappointed in the other person's purchases, and you know I thought about what I could have bought with all that money that he had spent on that useless metal box, <laughs> and I said, you know, you've got to prove the utility of this heavy box, and of course he couldn't, and instead he'd be plugging cords and floppy disks, remember those big floppy disks into that metal box. So Several weeks after that discussion, uh, I was at home one night and I was preparing for a court appearance the next day, and I was missing something from a document that I intended to file in court the next day. I was really disgusted with myself, and I was about to go back to the office, and, and Michael just started laughing. You know, He turned on the useless metal box, and instead of showing I Love Lucy reruns, it had this word processing program, and it solved my problem in less time than it would have taken me to drive to the office, and I had to admit he was right. Uh, so in the coming years, we would have debates about who had the greater need for the computer that night or on the weekend, and then we had to buy a second computer. And the good <laughs> news, of course, is that the second one was a much better value because you know how computers, unlike most other things, get cheaper and more powerful as time goes by. And Michael did an analysis on a spreadsheet program, you remember how long ago this was, that saved his firm so much money, it would have paid for 100 computers. I prepared charts for trial and witness examinations. I found information on outside services using a communications device called a modem. Remember those you know, beeps and clicks? <laughs> uh, I even ran an entire state bar campaign on a computer. I guess it's fair to say that Michael ran the computer and I ran all over the state. But um, in that president's page, and remember it was about two decades ago, I told the readers that the price of a whole computer system was less than a television. And I told them with that modem thing, uh, also was not very expensive, that anyone could have access to this thing called the Internet. And on the Internet, lawyers could find lost witnesses and government documents and court opinions and so much more. And not even the largest law firm library could rival the information that was available on this thing called the Internet. So that was me talking you know, nearly two decades ago in our very first State Bar Journal to focus on technology and the practice of law. And my point was, was that technology was the great equalizer. It enabled every lawyer to compete. My pet project as a bar officer was to find ways to disseminate information to lawyers. The Bar Journal is a great thing, a 
printed document, but it was expensive and has a very long lead time. In fact, I would have to write my president's column four months before the journal was published. So our bar was creating ways to compress that time. We created a website, wow, offering information about the state bar, forms to help lawyers in their practices, all the disciplinary rules and opinions, and this gateway to legal research and the world on the internet. So our state bar website was another equalizer, a a one-stop shop for all the legal resources that lawyers need. We created an emerging issues committee, uh, seeing into the near and far future of trends that would affect the practice of law. We put the entire bar directory online, complete with active links to the email addresses of every lawyer who supplied them. And at the time, I was encouraging lawyers to get and, and then supply their email addresses to the bar. We even offered bar staff to help lawyers get email addresses if they didn't know how to do it. We offered help improving law office technology with a new law practice management program. Some of you know Natalie Kelly from the Law Practice Division, and she started working at the State Bar of Georgia around this time. And the Law Practice Management Program helped lawyers with software and hardware questions. Those of you ABA Tech Show veterans will smile when I tell you that our State Bar Annual Meeting in 1998 had a tech show demonstrating the latest and greatest in office technology. So coming around full circle, I came to appreciate how technology could save my clients and me time and money and then brought that realization to the State Bar and as many State Bar members as we could. And of course, I never admitted to Michael that it was a good idea to spend all that money on that first metal box. And and he probably he probably figured that out when he read my president's page. My big problem now is I can't get used to Michael keeping all that obsolete software and those obsolete computer magazines that he won't throw away. <laughs> That's a great story and shows that real lawyers do use technology. Linda, it's almost become a cliche now to talk about change in the legal profession, but the ABA has had a strong focus, particularly recently, on our changing profession. Why don't you remind our listeners of some of the ABA initiatives about change impacting the legal profession? Our most prominent current initiative involving the changing profession is the ABA Commission on the Future of Legal Services, and they're reviewing how marketplace changes spurred by technology and globalization are disrupting traditional models of accessing and delivering legal services, particularly for the underserved poor and middle class. The Commission is leading the ABA's efforts to inspire innovation, leverage technology, encourage new models for educating tomorrow's lawyers, and nurture financially viable models for delivering legal services that meet the public's needs while remaining rooted in the essential values of protecting the public and pursuing justice for all. The Commission's defined five teams. They've split into five teams, and these teams talk about an ABA Center for Innovation, which would advance ideas that improve uh, legal services and legal education. Then there's a team talking about an ABA annual legal checkup program, a concept similar to going to your doctor for an annual medical checkup, and it would allow users to examine legal risks and evaluate whether they need to consult a lawyer or not. The third one is the ABA Online Dispute Resolution System, a project that focuses on the expansion of online dispute resolution. Then there's the ABA Platform, which would direct users to resources providing access to legal information or assistance. And the fifth is called Challenges to the Delivery of Criminal Legal Services, including decriminalization of minor offenses to alleviate racial discrepancy and over-incarceration. 
Much more information and an opportunity to comment on the proposals is on the Commission's website at ambar.org slash ABA Futures. And I encourage everyone to visit the site. That's ambar.org slash ABA Futures. Well, thank you for that information. I know that will be useful to a lot of people. As you know, Linda, being our original Digital Edge groupie, our podcast (laughs) focuses on technology and the law. Do you have any goals during your year as ABA president relating specifically to technology and law practice? Yes. Uh, You pointed out that my personal focus has always been about helping lawyers, helping in their communities. And we're planning an initiative to help veterans get the legal services they need. I've learned that one of the major problems helping veterans is connectivity, something that we'll use technology to solve. Maybe I should explain that. Often veterans live in one state, are deployed from another, return stateside to yet another, and the possibilities for legal problems in multiple jurisdictions are very significant. A veteran can have a consumer debt in one state, a child support issue in another, a landlord-tenant dispute in a third. And many of these problems can be the result of multiple deployments, homelessness, or illness. By using technology, we believe we can link volunteers to veterans who need them. We believe we can link volunteers to each other for training and mentoring. And we'll create an online veterans legal checkup so veterans, their caregivers, and their families can recognize legal issues. There's so much more to this initiative and to the technology piece. I'm happy to hear from listeners who want to be involved or who have ideas that can help. We'll also continue to work on the opportunities presented by the Futures Commission that I just mentioned, and we'll look for new and better ways to connect lawyers to the ABA through technology. A key part of this is going to be helping lawyers and small firms with their cybersecurity, ethical, and legal responsibilities. And now that I'm at a larger firm, I know that there are people whose job it is to work on cybersecurity here every hour of every day. When I was managing partner of a smaller firm, we couldn't afford someone dedicated full-time to cybersecurity. And the ABA is going to help smaller firms with these obligations. And we're also going to help lawyers in solo and small firm practices identify and use technology on a greater, more useful scale. My fundamental goal for my term as ABA president will be to promote membership in the association. And we will do so largely by helping lawyers in their practices. In my discussion with lawyers across the country, a main concern is that they don't have enough time to practice law because they need to figure out so many other issues involving technology. What kind of billing and collection software is the best? That's an example. Uh, What kind of networking hardware is right for the firm? How to use these tools and and so many others. The ABA has the expertise to help lawyers answer these questions. We just need to connect the experts with our members. Well, you've certainly described my daily life and daily work. So before (laughs) we move on to the rest of the podcast, let's take a quick commercial break. Not getting enough cases from the Internet? The kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. In recent- 
recent years, the legal sector has come under increasing pressure to improve efficiency and client services. CloudMask enables law firms and solo attorneys to leverage free and low-cost software as a service, such as Google Apps and Office 365, to improve efficiency and client service while reducing costs, strengthening compliance with data privacy laws, and ensuring that legal ethical duties are met. CloudMask encryption is even certified by 26 governments around the world. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at cloudmask.com. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit servenow.com. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is how technology has and will impact the practice of law. And our guest is Linda Klein, the president-elect of the American Bar Association and a senior managing shareholder at Baker Donaldson. Speaking of podcasts, you mentioned being a podcast listener. How do you normally consume podcasts? I have a very few podcasts besides yours, of course, that I listen to. (laughs) I mostly listen over my iPad while I'm on the road or in the background while I'm multitasking like unpacking in a hotel room. I'm a huge fan of Legal Talk Network, especially all of your coverage of the ABA mid-year and annual meetings and tech show, and plus uh, the conference of the ABA Commission on the Future of Legal Services that was held at Stanford University. This is precisely the type of material that all lawyers need in their practices. Well, I'm always interested in what technology tools busy people particularly find the most personally useful. What would yours be? Uh, Well, putting on my practitioner hat and not speaking for the American Bar Association, I do have a few favorites, such as my Microsoft Arc Touch mouse, and it folds flat and has a USB dongle that sticks to the mouse with a strong magnet. I got one right after it was released, and I I use it on the road all the time, and the dongle has never come detached from the mouse. Although I get some criticism from smartphone snobs, I still use a BlackBerry. I love the keyboard and the new operating system. I'm envying my husband's new Surface Pro, and I'm waiting for my law firm to be able to let a Surface on our network. (laughs) I love the Surface Pro, too. (laughs) Linda, we're all acquainted, as you noted, because of the ABA Law Practice Division. You recently were a columnist for Law Practice Magazine, and you and I served together on the board of editors of the magazine. What role do you see ahead for the ABA Law Practice Division? Those volunteer jobs for the Law Practice Division were some of my favorite ABA assignments. Great, dedicated volunteers are involved working together to create wonderful things. The role of the division will only grow and grow. The division is a great collaborator. There are collaborations with members who are not lawyers. There are collaborations with the greater ABA. The division has been and always has been so generous with its ideas and programs. Division leadership members have written some great books and conducted some magnificent programs that help lawyers do more with less. 
lawyers, uh, particularly lawyers in small firms, can greatly benefit from all these products. Uh, I, I was uh, meeting with lawyers in small towns in the Midwest. They asked for information on choosing software programs. The information was already prepared in a book from Law Practice Division. It's called the Solo and Small Firm Technology Guide. It's a more than 350-page collaborative effort by Law Practice Division tech folks. It contains the types of technology as well as some product reviews, and Sharon's one of the editors. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the plug, Linda. Linda, we know the ABA, like all volunteer organizations, is always interested in recruiting new members. Would you like to tell our listeners why you believe the ABA membership is important and how non-lawyer members can join? The ABA has so much to offer. We learn from each other. We make great friends. Uh, The ABA advocates for lawyers such as uh, saving FDIC protection for IOLTA accounts or protecting the attorney-client privilege. The ABA organizes incredible service to the public like the Youth at Risk Commission and service to the profession like writing the model rules of professional conduct. ABA sections, divisions, and forums have specializations in areas of the law like tort law or general practice law or construction law. These groups are leaders in their areas, and they share their expertise generously. There are large discounts in the ABA Advantage program for so many products and services. Bottom line is ABA membership has been a great value for me and for my firm. In fact, every lawyer in my law firm is a member of the American Bar Association. I want to share this with lawyers who are not currently members of the American Bar Association. I want to offer all of your listeners a free trial membership in the ABA, uh, and that would include a practice-related entity like the Law Practice Division. So if you're not currently an ABA member, sign up soon because this trial expires on August 31, 2016. Just visit ambar, A-M-B-A-R.org, slash, and you'll love this, Friends of Klein. <laughs> so ambar.org slash Friends of Klein, K-L-E-I-N, and include the code FO for Friends of Klein, F-O-Klein15, that's the code. And I'll tweet that information too if you'd like to follow me at Linda Klein Law. You'll see it there. Members get all the benefits of ABA membership, the ABA journal, access to members-only content on the website, and information on upcoming educational and networking events for a host of practice areas. And non-lawyers can become members of the ABA as associate members. Well, Linda, Jim and I really want to thank you for being our guest today. We are honored to call ourselves your friend, and we know that you're going to be a great ABA president. We look forward to your term. And on a personal note, I now know that you and I need to join forces to rent self-storage facility for our two husbands to put all of their obsolete equipment and software so that our houses are less cluttered. (laughs) And we will do that type off one day. (laughs) So thank you again for joining us. I know everybody enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. That does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. 
Thanks for listening to The Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.